What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I'm a Dream Mason, a performance coach. I work with strong and successful people to boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and the steps for more clarity, freedom, and success in their life. Together, we get things done faster, raise the bar on your goals, improve your relationships, and get crystal clear on what you really want. Now, if you haven't already, please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube, and please leave a review on iTunes. Follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram, and share this podcast with a friend. Now, a dream mason is a person who is brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. Now, I know we all have a dream mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner dream mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Accomplishment Coaching. I won't let anyone sponsor this show, but I've personally done Accomplishment Coaching, their year-long life leadership training program, and it changed my life completely. Besides giving me a new career, it supported me to improve my relationships with my family, my friends, make the most money I've ever made, find more joy, and overall live a much more powerful life. So if you're interested in coaching, transformational work, or leadership training, Accomplishment Coaching is definitely the world's finest training program. Let's get into this episode. Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. Today on the podcast, we're going to do something I think that's unique. I don't hear about it uh, too often. It's not where that we're going to do it. I, I misspoke, but we are going to uh, have a conversation that I think is a, a little unique, different, but I think it's something that we all like kind of need to be talking about or something that is impacting all of our lives. So part of this conversation, we're going to talk about cultures at work and the environments at work and who we are and and who our bosses are. Um, and and this came up because I went to a, I can't even, I, I don't even remember. Creative Mornings. Thank you. I love that, that our, our guest who I'm going to introduce you to just chimed in. I went to a Creative Mornings event in San Diego and our guest today was the speaker. And I was I was really impressed not only by her talk and and her her way of being and how she showed up, but because everything she said resonated with my past of being in corporate environments. And it was almost like these are all the things I've been complaining about. And I think these are all the things that all the people I know complain about. And it doesn't make them right or wrong or whatnot. It's just really resonated. So today, uh, and actually, I, I should share this is our first in studio guest. I don't know how to say any different. When she walked in this morning, she was like, oh my God, this is such a production. I thought we were going to have audio, uh, video too, but we don't. But this is our first in-studio, uh, in-person guest uh, in my studio in San Diego and Pacific Beach. My guest today is Jill Felska. And I got the name, you right? I didn't, my, my naming is I didn't take over. No, you nailed it. Thank you. Uh, Jill is the founder of Want to Work There. Want to Work There is a consulting company that makes culture change understandable and actionable. What's up, Jill? Hi. Thanks for being here. I'm thrilled. This is quite, I'm happy to be your first guest in studio, and it is a production in a wonderful <laughs> way. So thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm so glad I met you because I think you you were saying something to a room full of people that I thought forever, but I didn't know how to say it. I knew how to complain about it, right? Like I was really good at that and I was good at complaining about it as a as a as an employee but also as the person on the higher levels. Um and I it felt like the whole room kind of resonated with you. Can you speak like can you speak more to what what want to work there is and like what you're actually doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, um want to work there is really my passion culminating in a business around creating better work environments for people. So whenever I go and, you know, if I meet someone at a networking event and I introduce myself, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I help companies create better work environments for their employees. And literally the next thing out of their mouth every time is, oh my gosh, we need you. 
So it's, I think, this thing that hits all of us, like you're saying, we've all had a work situation that hasn't been ideal or a boss that, uh, you know, maybe there's been some toxicity there. So to me, it really is this culmination of wanting to think differently about the way we work um, and also address, I think, the shifting power dynamic in the workplace today. And we can definitely dive into that a little bit more, but um, it's a unique time that we're in. And employees are more empowered than they ever have been uh, to make choices and change. And that is, I think, really shifting how we think about culture in the workplace today. And then how did you get here, right? Because there wasn't, I don't think there was a major in college that was like create culture and companies. That would have been a really cool major though. You know, it's funny. So technically there is, it's called organizational oh. development. That's okay. <laughs> I didn't know either. <laughs> I. Uh, it's a world that I'm immersing myself in now. Um, but no, I actually started out in fashion design way back in the day uh, and then learned really quickly that I can't draw and didn't really like to sew. <laughs> so I should probably figure that out. Uh, and I ended up in journalism because I loved to talk and I loved to storytell, um, thought that I would be in fashion PR, um, and ended up instead at a very large PR firm in Chicago right out of school. So, um, you know, when I look back as to why I do the work that I do now, um, it really does stem, I think, from my first job out of college. I think it put me on the path that I'm on today. Um, I landed this job that I genuinely thought was my dream job. I was a few months out of school. Uh, it was 20, 2009, so right in the middle of the recession. Um, I graduated. I moved to Chicago. I was really excited to get a job and landed an internship with about 20 other people at this big PR firm. And then from there uh, was one of three people that was hired after the summer was over. It felt like this incredible gift that I'd been given to get into this organization. And it was uh, in a lot of ways. And what ended up happening over the next seven months as I was there was um, a really toxic work culture, um, which I just didn't I couldn't wrap my mind around because I had been waiting to get my like big person job, as I had said for so long, uh, and really was sideswiped, I think, by what the work actually was. So there was parts of it that were toxic from a culture perspective of just super long hours, really burnt out bosses who, you know, then that trickles down and we really felt that. Um, but then also was being sexually harassed by uh, the person who had brought me into the organization. and. It really threw me and took me a long time to sort of come to terms with the fact that it was happening, the fact that I wasn't making it up, that I wasn't going to be blacklisted from all careers if I did something about it. Um, and ultimately, it, it convinced – it was the reason I quit my job to start my first company. And so I look back and I go, you know – I would never wish it upon anyone, but I it put me where I am. And leaving there, you know, made me think about the question, what makes a company a great place to work? And that's been what's driven my career for the last 10 years. You know, we talked about this before, you and I, and um, thanks for sharing that. Um, it's not an easy thing to share, obviously, and especially publicly on, you know, it's one thing to share between your friends or with your therapist or in a safe place, but to share it on a recorded space. Yeah. Um, what I what I heard you talking about a lot is all the things that all of us go through. And then there's like an extra level of things that happen to some of us, right? And it's, mm -hmm. I think it's really important to talk about because it's not rare. Mm -mm. You know, it's happening all over and, and, and all of it, right? The with people working way too much, making themselves sick, uh, people taking advantage of people by making them work too much, um, cultures of yelling and screaming. That's what I experienced mm -hmm. a lot of. And I, you know, I think it's funny as a man being yelled at in a way that probably was not appropriate. I kind of took it as like, oh, this is, I have to just be a man about this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't even allowed to kind of feel like it's harassment in a way. And, um, and then your story is actually sexually sexual harassment, which I think, you know, I think is happening all the time, all over, but people aren't talking about it. What's the, and it, and again, it doesn't matter, you know, we talked about this, like it doesn't matter who it was or where it was, it's in the past, it's done now. But what advice or what did you learn from that, that 
in sharing that you could give to people that maybe are experiencing something like that or have experienced something like that and they can't get past it? So I think the main thing that really stuck with me, there's a couple of things, but one uh, that you mentioned is that I've never talked about this before. And that's very true. In a public forum like this, I have not touched on this. And um, even as you know, yesterday, I literally thought about calling a friend who's a lawyer to be like, could there be any bad repercussions from me going on and having this conversation, which I think that's the guilt that you carry with you after something like this happens. Um, you question yourself, you go, you know, am I imagining things? Did I remember this correctly? Is that what really happened? Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I have two baby sisters. They're we call, I call them the second generation. They're not babies anymore. They probably hate that I call them that still. <laughs> um, but they're they're 18. They're seniors in high school. And, you know, they're getting ready to go into college and then into the working world. And if I can give anyone themselves, you know, especially because they're my baby sisters, but if I can give anyone the ability to say I'm not comfortable with that, uh, to feel like they have a voice and can step into the power um, and know that there'd be people there to support them if they were to make that decision. That to me is is ultimately what was worth coming on and at least having part of this conversation because I do think part of it is um, the acknowledgement that you're not alone and also that, you know, usually in, in situations like this, there's a power dynamic difference. That person is holding control over you in some way. So especially in a job, it's a salary, um, it's a reputation, it's things like that. Um, I think telling someone, you know, it's okay for you to step out of that. And there's a big enough community of people that will support you, whether it's finding you another job, whether it's helping you, you know, just being there emotionally supportive from an emotional support perspective. Um Knowing that that's okay, I think is half the battle. So you have to, in a way, I mean, have some faith and some trust in yourself and your community and the people around you, right? Because I'm picturing, I'm thinking if, you know, if I were in that spot or if I'm anyone in that spot, ultimately it comes down to that. Because I have to have, you're like, hey, you need to set, you need to actually have a voice and speak up. But if I don't believe that I'm going to be okay, or I can handle the repercussions or because there's consequences to everything. Not speaking up consequences, speaking up consequences. Um, like I actually have to try, have some trust and some faith in myself and my community. And if I don't have that, I kind of have to create it. Um, yeah. No, I absolutely. Uh, I was 22 when this happened. Uh, the person was in a senior VP position. Um, and I was told multiple times by him, no one will ever believe you. If you say anything, no one will ever believe you. And unfortunately – well, here's what I will say. Fortunately, uh, there was a wonderful girl. Her name is Jen. Uh, we started on the same day as interns. We got hired together on the same day, and then we quit on the same day to start a business and left that company. Um, but she was the rock that was able to say, you know what? I'm here with you. And he got as brazen as he would that he would say things in front of her and say to both of us, no one will ever believe you. So I had someone there going, I've got you. We're going to do this. Uh, and I wasn't planning on telling HR, to be completely honest. So we went and put our notice in. Um, she went first, and then the HR person had me on the calendar after her. And so as soon as that started to happen, she called me in and was like, so what's going on? And we told her, we're starting a business. We're leaving. Um, she offered us a pretty significant raise. We said no. And she could tell that there was something else there. And so finally, you know, Jen left, and um, I sat with her, and I I finally said, you know, this has been going on. Here's what's been happening. Um, it's definitely part of the reason I'm leaving. And I will never forget, she sat back in her chair and gave me just the most defeated look and went, we know uh, he's just too important and to replace. He's just, he. Co it would cost us too much to replace him. And that to me, I mean, now when I tell people this story, they're like, oh my gosh, that's a lawsuit. You had a lawsuit. And Yes, there are certain things maybe I would have handled differently, but to me, it, it was just this feeling of power that is, you know, they're not behind me. So it was another reason from a cultural perspective to say like, okay, they, you know, they have the back of the people in power and not the actual employees. And I don't blame her. This She was part of a system completely. This was not on her, um, but it it was a reinforcing behavior that ultimately – 
was what caused me to start questioning some of these things that happen in organizations and and why they do and um, why they continue to. And it's so. I mean, it ha- this is happening everywhere. Oh, all, all the time. All the time. All I mean, the time. and it doesn't it doesn't actually just apply to men in power to women. It no, can be, yeah. you know. But I think. I mean, we've heard about it over the last, you know, what, three, four, five years. It's come out tons, right? In Hollywood, it's, I mean, it, it's in, poli- in politics in Hollywood is where it's like on loudspeaker, but yeah. that's where our attention is. Mm-hmm. But it's also in the small businesses and whatnot. Um, thanks for sharing all that. Thanks yeah. for the the bravery to, to open up about it. Um, I think it's really important because, you know, I know just as a, as a guy who has dated women who share stories about their lives and they tell me these things that have happened to them, whether they be in their personal lives and how often nobody ever said anything. And, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't actually matter to like get that guy fired or sue that guy Mm -mm. that doesn't fix or change anything. Mm -mm. It's the, it's, it's saying the thing, having the conversation, having the conversation continue to be said, but, doing it on a regular basis so that when it is brought up, it's not nobody's questioning, hey, is this truth? What's the motivation? If everybody's doing it authentically and honestly all the time, then it actually becomes a part of our dialogue versus these like speed bumps that pop up and then no one knows, you know, what to do with any of it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think – it's one of those uncomfortable conversations. It's like yeah. racism and diversity yeah. and inclusion work that I, you know, spend a lot of time with. It's they're uncomfortable conversations to have and to hold space for. Um, I got the chance to see Tarana Burke speak this summer, uh, and Tarana was actually the founder of the Me Too movement about ten years ago. So a lot of people see it as this Hollywood thing that happened, you know, in the last few years, and it's wonderful and it's brought new attention and given it a story and a voice that it never had. But she really, this was a movement she started ten years ago, and I saw her speak right after the Kavanaugh hearing uh, was wrapping up, and. What she said, which was so powerful to me, um, and I have to say, I didn't realize how much it still impacted me. I sat there for an hour and just cried through her entire talk. And I, this is something that I don't even think shapes who I am anymore. And it was so clear that it did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so a little bit of awareness there. Um, but she was talking about that trial. And it was less about, yes, you know, obviously there was a lot going on about what the present day repercussions were of his decisions. But what she said is, how incredible would it have been if he had said yes? That is something that I remember doing. And socially at the time, it was acceptable. I don't believe that anymore. And I, if I had it to do over again, I'd do it differently instead of denying it. Uh, There is something there that would have been powerful, I think, for you know, obviously Christine and and some of the other people that this has happened to, but it's what she said. It's not about being sued. It's not about whatever. Yes, absolutely. We should be holding people to higher accountability and standards, but it's also just about saying yes, like that did happen. And it was a different time and it was wrong and I've learned from it. It's so cool that you said that. I've had some amazing conversations with my cousin and um, my cousin's a 30 year old female and we, we, we have these great conversations about things like that are happening in the world, but um, I've I have a, a a secret kind of dream and a and a I don't know if I really want it or it just sounds good, but there's a part of me that kind of speaks up in the background that says, "Hey, one day you're gonna like run for office of some kind," and then I'll say to myself, "Well, you can't because you know you you've done some stupid things or some shitty things." And when we've talked about this, whether it be that kind of a hearing or because it. Or um, somebody that wore, you know, the the guys in North Carolina that did like blackface. Every single person on this planet was did something stupid. Now, the degrees of stupidity are very different, right? Drinking and driving and hitting someone or just drinking and driving, right? Um, doing uh, a stupid costume that was really offensive, saying something that was offensive, sending, I mean, with the advent of phones now, like there's... Photos of everyone all over the place floating around. That one of the things that Per and I always kind of come back to is how come people just don't own? Mm-hmm. Like I kind of always think, like if this ever, if this ever were to happen for me, and I create this in my life, and it does come up, hey, look what Alex did. There's a part of me that believes. Now, who knows? I'm not there, right? That I would say, yeah, I was 25. Mm-hmm. I was dumb. I was immature. 
and I know better now. And should we all be punished for the stupid things we did when we were 25? Because if that's the case, we will have no teachers, no doctors, no politics. Like, we won't have anything. We'll all just be in shame of the dumb things we did. Yeah. No one's perfect. So if that's the standard, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, if we're, I think I love that you said it because it's like, hey, we can our our crappy things that we've done are okay. Not it's not that we should be proud of them, Mm-mm. but that we've we're all human, mm-hmm. and that as long as we're we've changed, we can apologize, we can change, we can do things to to help educate younger people so that they're not making the same mistakes. But we can't go back and change it. And should a dumb mistake that we made ruin the rest of our life for anyone? You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but. Yeah, I don't know that I have. And I I guess I should say I'm not – I'm still not saying I'm thrilled that he got elected or put into – but it's that realization of it could have been handled differently. And uh, and it's never about we, how, yeah, it's one about. person exactly. or one thing. I mean, it's we're, it's the bigger conversation. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I want to I transition because we could probably talk about this forever and – and that would be fine, but there's some. You have gold about some other topics that I think can. We, is are we cool? Let's to, dive in. Okay, I'm all about um, it. You said something to me uh, that I think I want to. I want to repeat it because I think I wrote it down as a quote, and then I want to lead in. Uh, we are responsible for who we are and the impact that we have. And I thought that was. It's simple, but it's powerful. It's beautifully said, and it leads me into the idea of creating culture. Because that's what culture and company, that's what we're talking about. It. That's like your specialty. That's your gift. The first place I'm looking is like every brand wants to have culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't think anybody starts a company and it's like it's not important. You know, we've all – but how is culture actually created? Yeah. So I think in the last five to ten years, founders are way more aware of company culture as a concept and they talk about it. Um but the reality is every company has a culture. So culture is really um, how things are done around here. It's how we look at situations. It's how we handle different behaviors. It's what the norms are in the company. Um, and everybody has a culture. Now, there's a way to be intentional about building it. And that's, I think, where we're headed. So I think we've got about five or ten years of some really you know, proficient thought leaders in this space being more and more vocal about culture and why it matters. And I think we've gotten to a point where – um, so many people are excited about culture, but don't really know what it means or how to impact it. So um, I talk to people all the time and they're like, yeah, we have a culture committee. They plan parties. Um, <laughs> and I'm not – it's it's one of those things that culture is such an intangible thing that people – wanted to latch on to something tangible. And so the tangible becomes the parties, the the different things like the ping pong table, the beer keg, you know, we're super fun. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I always like to say, you know, in that regard is having a ping pong table is a perk. Whether or not your employees feel like they can take a break during the workday to go play a game of ping pong and not feel like they are being irresponsible or lazy, that's the culture. So the culture is what drives the actions, what drives the beliefs, the behaviors. Um, and that's what I'm excited and, and work with companies on is let's dig into that real underlying presence um, of what's really driving how your company runs every day. I love that you said that having the ping pong table. I had an office once. I was in my office. I worked in it that had a basketball court. But nobody ever. But no played. one used it. No, because no. We, people were terrified, exactly. and you would had shame and all this stuff. And I don't know that it was intentionally created, right? No, and but I, that's yeah. And I think the um, the thing I was thinking about when you were saying when you were saying this is, I was always present to that the culture that was broadcast. You know, the plaque on the wall that said yes. who we are, or the thing in the manual, wasn't actually the thing in place. Mm-hmm. So if you're, let's talk to like. From an employer perspective, yeah, you're we're an we're how do you how do employers find out that the thing on the wall everyone that works for them thinks is a bunch of crap? Yeah, uh, so oftentimes, and they come from really good intentions. Uh, companies will write a mission statement, or they'll have core values, and like you said, they end up on the wall, or they end up on a plaque. Um, and so to me, you really have to go one step further with everything. And, and to me, it's all grounded in behavior. So um, if you value 
communication or good communication, what does that look like? What does good communication actually look like? Does that mean we never send an email if we're emotional? Does that mean that we are overly um, – we are communicative before we make changes. You know, what are the different pieces of that that actually show up in the day-to-day? Um, I think so much of culture, and there is this conversation around, you know, can you drive culture from the bottom? Um, do you have to be at the highest leadership level in the company to change culture? I think anybody can change culture to some extent, at least what's going on around them. Um, you have the ability to impact how you show up in the world and what you choose to do on a daily basis. I will say, though, that culture truly stems from the behaviors, for the most part, of people at the top and people who are starting the company. So I often find that the founders who are the most interested in and care the most about creating good cultures are the ones that already are because it is naturally innate to them to treat people well, um, to create safe spaces, to do different things. And again, there's a lot of different ways to be a good culture. I'm just giving this as one example. Um, but the ones that care the most and think about it are usually the ones that are living it. The ones that hire a branding agency or someone to come in and write some copy and throw it on the website uh, and then sort of go, okay, we did it. Those are the ones that there's usually a lot of misalignment. Um, and you really need to hold space for for honest conversations and create some some trust before they're going to tell you the truth. Is there a, is there if I'm that employer is there a place to start right because I likely if I've created this situation I don't realize what I've created. Yeah, and now if somebody totally. points out hey this we're this is a big joke right like sometimes stuff comes out like a lot of people quit, there's a ton of turnover, or somebody just kind of sends a Jerry Maguire kind of, you know, thing around. Um, I, there's probably people listening to this that are like, what's Jerry Maguire? What's Jerry? I know, um, I feel so old. <laughs> um, but yeah, people put it on loudspeaker, right? And how does that boss, like, is it you hire a consultant, you hire you, you do a 360 evaluation of the office? How do they even know... Like how do like if somebody gets that they don't, how do they even know how do they open their eyes to what's actually going on? Yeah. So I do think there's value in a third party sometimes. Um when you have someone come in that's not directly in the situation, it does allow people sometimes to be a little more open. That said, um I think the very first thing you can do is tell your employees that you're ready to listen and that you want to really hear what they have to say. So one easy way to do that, or I guess more direct way to do that, is to do an employee survey. Um, here's what I will warn about employee surveys. However, a lot of people do them as a way to say, like, we care, and we want to know <laughs> what you're going to tell us, and then they do absolutely nothing with that information. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it is more harmful to give an employee survey and do nothing with the information than it is to do nothing at all. Um, it's the same thing I say about people who are like, you know, we're going to have a conversation about creating better culture and then nothing really happens. You've created more damage there than you have good. And I, I would say don't even start down the road. Um, that also doesn't mean that you have to do everything. So do a survey uh, and then have an honest conversation about what you found out. So Maybe, you know, your employees are feeling like they need some more autonomy. You know, there are little ways that you can do that and you can address that without having to completely change the way that you work at the office every day. Um, or maybe they want some more support and mentorship or leadership coaching. You know, you don't have to, and it's great if you can, invest in, you know, a coaching program to come in and do a lot of stuff. It could just be as simple as, hey, we're going to do a book club every month and we're going to buy the books for you and we're going to save a space for two hours uh, once a month and we're going to have this conversation together. So it's acknowledging, I think, that you're hearing them and saying, we're not perfect. Uh, here's what we need to work on. And here's where we can start, which is easier said than done. It's really hard to be vulnerable like that and to, you know, have a business say, like, we're not shiny and perfect in every way. Um, but I think it is so powerful when handled correctly that even if a culture is in a really negative place, there is some light 
that comes through when you do that and are really honest about it and and the intention is really pure and not just as a placation. I want to take what you gave and rebrand it as great relationship advice. Yes. It's so perfect, <laughs> right? Like if your relationship isn't going the way you want and one person's complaining or you just know it's not going the way you want, you can't just say, hey, we'll do more quality time or ask the person, hey, what do you need? You actually have to then practice those things. Or to your point, right? If, if my partner says to me, hey, I, I get that I haven't been paying attention a lot. Is, is that what you want? And I'm like, yeah, I really want to spend more time together. And then they don't. It's a more of a, you know, an F you. Totally. Because now you know when you're not doing it. Yes. Yes. There's an awareness there. <laughs> so I, what I got from that is that we can actually apply this not just to our businesses, but we could actually apply this to our relationships with our friends, with our families, you know, everywhere. It's kind of, there's culture everywhere. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I use dating and relationships as a, a metaphor, if you will, for this stuff all the time because people get it. Um, and I think that's also the hard part about the work that I do. We live in this society and this world now where everybody wants like the six steps to do X, Y, Z or the quick fix. Um, there isn't a quick fix for culture. I talk about, you know, when people say, what's a great culture look like? I'm like, what does a great marriage look like? Um, there's a lot of answers to that question, and it means a lot of yeah. different things to a lot of different people. There is no way for me to tell you this is the perfect culture. You have to – there are ways that we can uncover that and help you define that, and I think there are best practices that can surface in terms of relationships and you know, culture company-wise. But there's no perfect here's the black and white answer for you. And the more I get into this work, the more I realize – how messy it is <laughs> and how human it is. Um, and some days that's really hard because I want there to be a big, shiny, wonderful solution with a bow on it. And other days I am just glad to be part of small changes that I know will add up to something big at the end of the, you know, at the end of the journey. So if we look at employees now, right? Because yes. now we just talked about kind of the employer side. If you're an employee out there and you're you think your company's full of it or you have a lot of complaints. And I'm not saying that as the employee listening to this, you are right about all your complaints, just as the company's not right about whatever. But if you have, you know, you have ideas, you have thoughts, you recognize people are quitting around you. you it's not going well. You're actually in the trenches. What do you do with this information? Because I think most people I ever worked with were terrified to actually have a conversation with the people above them, like an honest conversation, yeah. right? They tiptoe yeah. around it. Oh, absolutely. And and difficult conversations are difficult. <laughs> and that is, you know, in any aspect of life. Um, so I think there's a couple of things. I think we are in a time now that there is more opportunity for people to leave a bad work environment than there ever has been. So whether that means that you quit your job and go drive for Lyft whether that means you start your own you know, business, you do freelance work, you move to a different job, um, there is more power there than there ever has been. That said, I think what happens is a lot of people quit without having the conversation. So I wish that we lived in a world where more employees and employers could have honest conversations about what's not working. Um, I hear from employers all the time, like, I had no idea they were so unhappy when they quit. And I always say, cool, did you ask them? And the answer is usually no. <laughs> um, and so it takes um, some gumption as an employee when the, you don't have a superior who's creating a safe space for you to go and have a difficult conversation about what's not working. But if you do it in a tactful way and come from a genuine place of, I really think we can make this better. And here are the things that I think we could make work and would make me happy in this job and, and happy to stay. I think probably nine times out of 10 or eight times out of 10, that boss is going to be happy that you came and had the honest conversation. If you do it in a threatening way, like I'm getting ready to leave unless this, this, or this, that's going to put them on the defensive. If you come and say to them, I want to talk through some things with you that I'm struggling with because I value my job here and I want to stay and I want to make this worth it. But in order for that to, to happen, some things need to change. That's a conversation that I think they're more willing to have. And, and honestly, for employers, it's expensive to lose an employee. 
They then have to go through a recruiting process. You know, there's all those stats out there about it costs three times or four times, you know, the salary of the person you lost to replace them. Um, It's in their best interest to also make you happy um, and to work through things with you. So if anything, take that little bit of gumption. And you do have to be willing to know, you know, they may they may lash back and that may mean it is time to leave um, and that that's just what that's what needs to happen. But I think having the conversation is worth it uh, and and is the only way we can start to address some of this stuff without people just disappearing and not really explaining why. Where did all this wisdom, knowledge, you know, the all this that you're bringing, where did it come from? Like, did you, did you know, I, I, it all makes sense. Like, it actually makes tons of sense and it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. But where did you, like, how did you develop it? Where did, you know? That is a great question. <laughs> uh, some of it's life experience, for sure. Um, I read voraciously. I was that kid that was always in the library and uh, knows in a book. But I also, one of my strengths is is ideation and futuristic. If you know strength finders, those are my two top strengths, ideation and futuristic. So I think my mind is just constantly churning on this stuff uh, and trying to put together, you know, what what pieces of this puzzle aren't adding up and how can we shift things? So um, I think a lot of it just comes from, from my general curiosity and wanting to think about how could we do this differently, but also from a place of um, – real life experience. And uh, I think there's a power in me not having a degree in organizational development that's taken me a while to realize because there's a credential there that feels really important in this space. Um, And what I've realized is, is I lived a lot of this. And so I've soaked up a lot of, you know, organizational development and some of these different pieces of knowledge outside of school, but I also feel like I have a real person's perspective of what this stuff looks like. And theory is really great, um, but it only is helpful as much as there's action. And that's my real focus, is how do we give small, sustainable solutions to people so that they can better use this theory that exists around making you know making things better? Are there, are there tools that, when you come in and work with somebody, when you are a company, do you, is it all hands-on? Do you leave them with things? Is it like, hey, read these books. Here are these exercises. What's the, what does a process look like to, when you go in and you want to like revamp or reshift or rebuild or create, what does it even look like? It's so funny. You did, you don't even know that I pivoted my business this direction. So I feel like you just set me up for this. <laughs> but uh, the thing that I think I've realized in the last year is there's only one of me. And I'm so stupidly passionate about this work, and I want more people to be able to do it. Um, and I also have a really soft spot for startups, having owned, you know, this is my third business of my own. And um, I have worked in a lot of startups. There's really, I think, an opportunity when you're a startup to create a strong foundation to begin from. So I have so much respect for people who go into large companies and do this work and, uh change things that are already really messy and really difficult. But I think there's this wonderful chance when you're a startup to get a fresh, fresh perspective and and fresh rules in place um, that can start you up from a good spot. So from that perspective, I'm now shifting my business to creating more toolkits, more education for people that want to be doing this work within companies. Um, HR traditionally has been very compliance, legal, um, process focused, which is incredible and we need that. Um, but in the last 10 years, words like company culture, employee engagement, um, retention, all of these things that are coming up more and more frequently in heads of HR positions. Um, it's this whole organizational development world now that's being thrown on people who never did work this way before. So um, I'm in the process of shifting towards building toolkits and building resources so that people who are in those roles and can make the most difference. It's one thing for me to come in and work with you, and I love it, and I'm you know, definitely – it's a joy to do it. But I think there's something to be said about the – actual work coming from the people inside the organization. And so that's definitely a shift for me um, right now is is how do we 
get more tools and resources into people's hands that can do this work. So a training program, in a way, a training and education system. Yeah, yeah, to some extent. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, I had no idea, right? Nope. Like, I mean, maybe I did. <laughs> maybe I, we just discovered my magical powers. Um, what's the, you know, what's, let's look at you as a, as a business owner because the road to building your business to this point, you know, what's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome as, as an entrepreneur and a business owner? Hmm. Uh, I think there's two. I, it's really funny. People tell me or told me all the time when I left my job when I was 22 that I was so brave. And I was like, yep, but I just walked away from $30,000 a year and I can go waitress and make that. And then as I advanced in my career and did other things, you know, walking away from a six-figure salary was a lot harder than walking away from a $30,000 salary. So there's, as we get older, I think there's this stability that even as risk takers and entrepreneurs that, you know, we've built a lifestyle to a certain extent that now, you know, it costs more than it did when we were 22. So I think that's part of it is is that ability to walk away and just trust that the business you're going to build is absolutely going to sustain you um, and that you're going to figure it out. So that was one thing. And I think the other thing for me is um, I had to get over this block of, I would say all the time, I hate sales. I hate sales. I hate it. I just want to, you know, like I just want to do the work. Um and I had to shift that because obviously, as you know, what you say is what becomes reality. And so I had to get over that piece and just say, you know what, this is about me adding value to people's lives. It's about getting to do something with them that I'm so passionate about that I know is going to add value. Um, but that was a big block for me for a while. I really did get stuck on this sense of, you know, can't that I wish it just was here and then I could do the work <laughs> instead of that other piece of it, which is so much a part of, of being a business owner. How did you get past that block? Great friends. <laughs> uh, I When I moved here, I knew one person. So I moved to San Diego about three years ago. I knew one person. Um, and I wanted to make new female friends. And so I started a like dinner party slash book club and uh, surrounded myself with these amazing women who most of which were business owners or doing different things um, that that group has now become a huge part of my life. And I think them saying to me, like, you know, getting me out of that headspace mindset is so often just the conversations you're having and the people you surround yourself with. So um, that was one of the things I think that pushed me past that was people saying, nope, it's, it's time for you to shift out of that. And what about the trusting that you said first, like trusting that you could build a business? Because that's, that's mm. what the thing that comes up for me all the time, right? Like every time I hit a new high, and then it's almost like with every high, there's a there's a low. It's followed by oh, yeah. a low and then another new high. And every time I fall, it's I hit the high and I'm like, I'm on top of the world. Yes. I'm doing it. I'm, <laughs> all my dreams are coming true. And then a low shows up and all your limiting beliefs come with it, right? And mm. I'm the worst. I mm -hmm. shouldn't do this. I'll just go get a, you know, a job. To me, that's all trust, right? Like having trust in yourself that you can actually keep yes. going and you're going to make it. How did you? How have you built that? trust factor within yourself? Yeah. Um, I feel like so much I owe to my dad. Um, neither of my parents are in business. My dad's a pastor. My mom's in social work. Like it is the furthest from their world. Um, and even when I was 22, I mean, my dad didn't know why I quit my job. He just knew that I did. And he has had this like unrelenting faith in me and the ability to encourage me when things feel really hard um, that I don't know that I ever took it for granted, but I'm so much more aware of it now. Um, my brother, same thing. My brother is director. He does film. So my dad has these two children who do these completely uh, non-traditional non jobs um, that have ups and downs in money and all the different things. And he's just always there, even though he doesn't understand. I don't think my dad could really tell you what it is that I do. <laughs> he believes full heartedly in me and in the fact that I have a gift that I'm going to be able to share with the world. And that is, there's nothing that can replace that, to be completely honest. It's it's a really powerful thing to have someone believe in you that much. So your dad and my dad should talk. Ugh. I don't think he has any idea. Like, I mean, he's more and more right. Like your dad's probably you tell more, him. Well, you tell yeah. him you probably have conversations around yeah. him. Yeah. But my dad's super old school. I don't think 
he really gets like fully what I do. No, I, he doesn't know yeah. what a podcast is. No. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, he called me, he called actually called me the other day and he dropped these like wise words of advice and this beautiful wisdom told me he was proud of me. And it's, that's actually, that's like beautiful faith and belief, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't even know, he like your dad just believes in you. It doesn't even matter what you're up to. He can see it yeah. inside of you. And even on days when you feel like you can't. So I have to say, that, so my dad is probably one of the most technologically illiterate people on the planet. I literally set him up with a Gmail account. This was maybe three or four years ago. And then he called me and said, how do I get into the, you know, like, how do I do this? I'm sitting here at the computer. I'm like, great, open a browser, do the thing, put and then put in Gmail. And I can hear him on the other line going G, E, E, M. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is why I love you. <laughs> he literally thought it was like G mail. And I was like, this is great. So I feel yeah. you on that. <laughs> I want to tell a story that what my dad said to me last night, but I don't know if he'd be mad if he heard it, but it's like so great. Um, I'm going to share it. Okay. I, it's I was like, like I, I'm going to give you permission. My dad's super old school and he's just like, you know, he's the guy who like, he would like bolt something through his hand and he would just like put a, like a tissue over it, you know, like it was, and my dad is not into like the new wave of health that has evolved over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. doesn't matter how much research, doesn't matter. It's like, he's, give me a pill. He's, give me a pill, give me medicine, like old school kind of doctor medicine stuff. Yeah. So he, um, my dad has, uh, as he's gotten older, he has some, some blood flow issues and the feeling in his feet isn't great. And so my girlfriend has a ranch and she has horses. And somehow this came up that to help blood flow in horses, they spray Listerine on the horse legs and it like creates more blood flow, I guess. Right. So my dad hears this and he's like, well, how much Listerine? Like, how do I? So my dad calls me then. And I love you, dad. It's great. And he goes, hey, so how do I know if it's working and when does it work? And I go, I'll ask her. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I just want to check in because you won't do such and such and such that has all this evidence and research, but you'll spray Listerine on your legs. And he was like, yep. No. All right. Okay, dad. <laughs> That's all you can say at that point. Smile. You know what? And the fact that like he, we can have that conversation now and laugh about it and that he can call me and tell me that he loves me and supports my business. It's, you know what? It's fine. He's going to do what he does. Oh, abs I'm, I am glad. I'm th my, I wouldn't want my dad to be anybody else. No. You just can't send him an email. I know. I just email. I will say he signs every one of his. He now texts at least, and he signs every one of them "Love Dad" because he doesn't think I know who they're coming from unless they say it. So we'll be texting back and forth, and every single one will say "Love Dad." It's just everybody. It's adorable. Everybody with parents over the age of like gets I think it. like 65, 60, 65, yeah. 70 like gets that one. <laughs> um, thanks so much. This we've got to. I, I like that we're ending on like a happy note because yeah. we started kind of on a little bit of a solemn. Um, but I think one of the takeaways that I really appreciate is your story, your company evolved out of something shitty, for lack of a better word. And I think so many inventions, so many things that have been created, most things actually probably that have been built or created that are, are changing the world or changing our lives, came out of something that we most of us probably would have preferred not to happen. Um so thanks for being an example of that, but sharing it here vulnerably, openly, honestly. Thanks for trusting me here to be like, hey, this guy that I met one time at Creative Mornings um, and had one conversation with that this was a safe enough place for you to share and open up. Um, well, that's a I, gift you have because you uh, certainly are able to create safe space for people quickly. So that's a gift of yours. Thanks. Yeah. You know, I know that there's someone out there that like needed to hear, you know, hopefully there's many, many people, but I know there's someone, at least one person that like needed to hear this. So thanks for having an impact through what not have been the ideal situation, but sharing it so someone else can maybe doesn't have to experience it. But thanks for doing what you're doing everywhere because we've all had jobs that we hate. And, you know, we spend, I heard LeBron James say this. Um, on the Tim Ferriss podcast, but he basically said, you got to fall in love with the journey. The result is doesn't matter. And the results, what, like a percent of our life, 5% of our life. And we're at our jobs for God knows how many hours. 
Yes. We spend more time with our coworkers and our bosses than we do usually with our family and friends. So if that part of that, not to cut you off here, but I, when you get to the deeper reason of why I do what I do, um, when you come home from a job drained emotionally and physically, you don't treat the people around you the best that you can. And that's a reality that happens, you know, all over the world. People come home, they have a really horrible, toxic day at work, and that trickles into their family life. Match that with or compare that, I guess, to someone who leaves their job energized and um, fulfilled. And again, this is not about work being sunshine and rainbows. Um, great work is hard, takes hard work. Um, this is not about it being easy, but it's about it not being toxic and about it um, allowing you to leave in a place of at least tranquility and not uh, stress and anger because that's how you come home and treat your kids, your significant other, anybody in your life after a day like that is so dramatically different. So even though it starts at work, I really think that piece of your life and how you feel about it trickles into every other area of your life. And so making that change, um, people will tell people to leave toxic relationships all the time. If you have a toxic relationship, boyfriend, significant other, it's really easy to say leave. Um, I like to say that about jobs. So I'm not telling everybody to go quit tomorrow. But if you have a toxic job that is causing your life to feel not as full and as wonderful as it could be, it's maybe time to think about something else. I lo- you threw in rainbows and sunshine because <laughs> I, I think that's what you're actually creating, right? Like it doesn't matter if I'm digging ditches or whatever I'm doing. I'd rather be doing it in in sunshine yeah. than in a blizzard or, you know, in the essentially your crafting and creating environments and helping yeah. to do that and reshape that. So even if somebody is not doing the thing that they their dream job, I'd rather go to a job that's not my dream job, dream job and work with people that are great and happy and I get treated well, right? Versus yes. maybe I even have my dream job and it's a crappy environment. Thanks yeah. for doing that. Thanks for explaining it so easily and well and giving so many tools. If people want to reach out to you, how do they find you? How do they follow you? What's all the, you know? Yeah. So um, wanttoworkthere.com is the website. Um, you can definitely find me online uh, at, at Felska on Instagram, F-E-L-S-K-A. Um, and if you're in San Diego, I actually launched a monthly event called Culture Catalyst. Um, and we have a conversation once a month with a group of people who want to change the way we work for the better. So I would love to have you and come on out and, and meet in person. I'll be there. Tell me. I want to come. Great. I'll totally come to that. Um, thanks again for being here. Thanks for sharing. Thank thanks for being vulnerable and all the, you know, I said it before, but thank you. I appreciate you. No, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. I am grateful to have you here. Please support me and this podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or YouTube. And leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast with a friend. If you want more or you're ready to play a bigger game and create more clarity, freedom, and success in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at inspirationalalex. Or you can reach out to me at thedreammason.com or even email me at alex at thedreammason.com. Remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.